We're going to open back up to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. So we got the first part of the psalm this morning, the overarching theme of what Psalm 23 is about. The Lord who is our shepherd who meets every need that we have. From verses 2 down to verse 6, he is going to go through, David will go through and start to hit different categories and different areas in which God provides for our needs. This afternoon I would like to look at verse 2 because I think verse 2 is kind of foundational for all the rest. Since He maketh me to lie down in green pastures and He leadeth me beside the still waters. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And really we're probably going to spend most of our time there. We may not go to the still waters this afternoon. When you think about the imagery of a shepherd and sheep and then you think about somebody in green pastures, it's probably immediately comes to mind that a sheep in green pastures is doing what? Eating. Yeah, he's eating. He's being fed. He's eating. Matter of fact, one of the things that a shepherd has to spend a lot of his time on is making sure that the pastures or the lands that they're grazing are suitable for that sheep. There are some lands on the path that a shepherd would take his sheep. There are going to be some plots that are full of plants that are poisonous. Sometimes sheep, or at least there are some plants that sheep will not eat that are poisonous. There are some that they will gobble up and die. They just will eat them up. So a shepherd has to go ahead and he has to get those plants, uproot them, and get rid of them. He'll have to fill in some holes. He'll have to fight off any enemies, any attackers that might be there, if there are little snake holes, if there are just any little thing that a sheep could get caught up in, the shepherd will go and prepare that and make sure that he is able to lead his flock to that place and they are able to eat. He says, he makes me to lie down in these green pastures. The first thing that you can trust God to do for you, the first need that you can trust that God will meet in your life is God will feed you. God will feed you. That's also, when we talk about importance, I don't know that we could talk about importance as far as rating what is most important that God does. We can talk about importance in the sense of what is most important as far as what we do. I was talking to John at lunch and we were looking at this and the idea that the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing, I have no needs. He made the comment, and it's true, that a lot of the times we can use that type of information. I guess I could say we could abuse that type of information, kind of like the whole uh, idea of taking the sovereignty of God so far that we decide we don't have anything that we need to do. All of a sudden, if anything's going to happen, then God will bring it to pass, and we sit and twirl our thumbs and wait on God to do something. So it's important for us to understand that what... The passage here says, and biblically what, he, what the teaching is, is that the Lord is my shepherd, I have no needs. It doesn't say the Lord is my shepherd, I have no responsibilities. And so as we look at the eating portion here, he makes me lie down in green pastures, I want you to know that God provides food for his people, but God does not shove his food down your throat. It just doesn't work that way. He gives you the ability to eat, but you're not tube-fed. So I want to look first to see the importance that God places on His sheep being fed. And then I want to look at a more practical side 
of it. So Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to go first. Isaiah chapter 40, this speaks of God. It says, O Zion, this is, I'm sorry, verse 9. Isaiah 40, verse 9. O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up to the high mountains. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms, and he shall carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Here in uh, this passage, as Isaiah um, is, is speaking, as he's praising God, he says, Behold, God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. And then he dropped, we drop down to verse 11. It says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd, and will gather the lambs with his arms. Speaking of God feeding his people. Now, we know this already, or most of you probably know this already, but whenever we go to Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, this is what God says through Jeremiah. He says, I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. It's kind of a, a neat, I guess I should say. I would I originally would say funny, but funny is not really the word. But it's the word pastor there. When you think about having a pastor, the, the word pastor comes from the same root word as far as the Hebrew word that pasture comes from, a pasture, an open field. And the, the idea behind it is to eat or to feed. And so as we think about the role of a pastor, a pastor in a very real sense, is, is placed over God's people to feed God's people through His Word. Uh, and here, he says, I'm going to give you pastors, and they're going to be pastors that are according to my heart. And we saw over in Isaiah that uh, he's rejoicing, and, 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 and he's, he's coming to gather his sheep, and he's going to gather those sheep, and he's going to feed those sheep like a shepherd does. He says, I'm giving you these pastors according to my heart and they're going to feed you. And this is what they're going to feed you with. They're going to feed you with knowledge and understanding. They're going to feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now, I'm not going to go here, but if you're taking notes, you might write down Ezekiel 34.2. There God puts a pretty big contrast between what He would call good shepherds and bad. And there's a, a really harsh judgment. When I say harsh, it's a just judgment. But it's a really heavy judgment on the pastors there that were not, the shepherds there that were not feeding God's flocks. We could go to First Peter. As a matter of fact, we will go to First Peter, chapter two, and. Verse 1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Here Peter speaks of the milk of the word 
God's Word that's given to us for nourishment, that we might eat, that we might grow. And the idea or the picture here is that we might grow to maturity so that we are being fed. Now, you know this already, but um, the illustration or the picture that he places here in First Peter is not one that the newborn babies would desire the sincere milk of the Word that they may grow thereby. It's not the one to where they would continue on with milk, right? It was it's one to where they'll grow, they'll grow into maturity, and they'll move from milk to solid food. It was... Uh, well, I don't remember now how long it's been, but with our son, David. Some of you have heard, maybe all of you, I'm not sure, but some of you have heard some of the things that he had, the struggles with that he had whenever he was born. And one, David has Down syndrome, and Down syndrome children eat kind of late compared to someone who doesn't have that because textures are kind of weird for their mouths. They have a hard time with textures. So for whatever reason, and we were thrilled, uh, David so far didn't have any problem with texture. So he's got his little baby food, rice and squash and all that stuff. And so the first time he took a bite of that, we had a celebration, man. We were having a, we were just thrilled uh, because he was eating and growing and he was hitting that marker. And so it was a huge deal to us that David was eating that little rice cereal. Now, Lily's four years old. What do you think we would have done if she ate that rice cereal? Well, we wouldn't have gotten mad, but do you think I would use that as an illustration of celebration? She's four. Of course she can eat that. She eats oatmeal. She eats avocados. She eats whatever. She eats. That's something that she's been doing for a while. Why is that? Because she is grown or is growing in maturity. She's not doing the same things that she was doing back then whenever she was six months, five months. And so we come to expect that she's going to continue to develop. She's going to continue to mature. And her abilities are going to increase, not stay the same, plateau, or decline. Well, in the same way spiritually, this is what Peter's saying to the Christians that he's writing to here. And as we read God's Word, it's what God's saying to us. That as we desire the milk of the Word, and as we eat, as we partake of the milk of the Word, that it is through that that we grow. It's also through that that we find the picture, the type that's of the uh, sheep that's lying down in green pastures, fulfilled even in our own life. What do you think of whenever you think of a sheep that's lying down in green pastures? Most of the time we think about a sheep that's eating, but that's not the illustration there. Dogs eat while they're laying down. Cats can eat while they're lying down, but sheep do not. They are grazing animals. So that means they eat on the go while they're standing up and walking. And we kind of alluded to this this morning, but their digestive system is a ruminant digestive system, which means, and some of you may explain this better than I can, but in simple terms, they have four compartments in their stomach. One takes up about 60% of their belly, and that's kind of like a holding tank. The four other compartments are going to filter everything else out that they have so that they can get all the nutrients that they need or that they can possibly get out of what they're eating. So this is normally what happens when a sheep goes to graze in a pasture. He's up, he's walking, 
He's eaten and he's taken in a ton at one time. He can take in a bunch of grass. He can take in a bunch of whatever's there. And he will begin to fill that big holding tank up. It's not until that tank is filled up that he decides to lie down and do what we would call chew the cud. You ever heard of that? You know what I'm saying when I say that? The ruminant digestive system, it's kind of gross, but this is how it works. It's full of food. Some of that stuff will be broken down, and he will get some nutrients from some of that. The way the acids and all the things that, that work in his stomach rolling around in there, the way that's going to work is whatever's still solid and will not pass through this mesh little filter that he has in his stomach to get to the other side, he will burp back up, chew up again, and try for number two. Then he'll burp it back up, chew it again, and try for number three. He might do that ten times before he gets everything out of that grazing that he did. Now that sounds like a nasty illustration, and you may wonder why I would even bring that up. But that's the illustration that I didn't really bring it up. David brings it up. He's ruminating over that food. He's getting every little bit that he can out of that food. I am going to tie that. I am going to tie this in. But let me turn to Second uh, Timothy real quick. This is a passage you already know. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is the verse that we go to whenever we think about the inspiration of Scripture. This is the verse that we go to when we think about the uh, what's uh, profitable, the goodness of Scripture for our life, the sufficiency of Scripture for our life. It says there's four things here, four categories we could split it up into. It says it's profitable for doctrine, teaching. That means God's Word will get you headed in the right direction on any given topic. If there's something that you are struggling with in life, if there's a problem that you have, if there's a question that you have, doctrine, the idea of being taught, is the idea of being guided in a certain direction. God's Word will do that. It will get you headed in the right direction. Reproof. That means God's Word will bring you to a place to where you're willing to admit you're wrong. Pretty much what that word means. That almost sounds like magic, doesn't it? Bring me to a place where I'm willing to admit I'm wrong. That doesn't happen very often with other folks. Usually what happens is I'm brought to a place to where I'm defensive or I'm brought to a place to where I feel like I need to over-explain or kind of give another spin on what was actually said so that I look like I'm in good light. But it says God's Word, this is what it produces. This is what it's profitable for. This is what it's good for. Not for everybody out there, but for me. It's good for me in the sense that it will bring conviction as the Spirit applies that and opens my heart up to it, and it will bring me to the place that I'm willing to admit I am wrong. For correction... The word correction, the word picture there is to pick up that which has been knocked down. And so it doesn't just leave you in a place to where you admit that you're wrong. It leads you to the place to where you take that for what it is and you start moving in the right direction. You correct whatever it is that you've been mistaken on or whatever it is that you've fallen. And then for instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness so that you don't have to continue to repeat the same mistakes that you've made in the past. Listen, we've gone through that pretty quickly. I think I did that probably less than a minute, minute and a half. But if we really understood what all was there, just in that one verse in 16 there, 
There is nothing, no other resource that we have on earth that can compare to God's Word. And when I say that, I don't say that in the sense of now we can take it and tell everybody about it. I think we should tell everybody about it. I think we should be able to, to uh, defend Scripture. I think we should evangelize. I think we should, should uh, 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 share the Scripture with other folks. But I want you to know that I really do not believe we'll be very productive or very effective if we are not first being brought under the influence of Scripture ourselves as we go out and try to share with other people. So, 2 Timothy 3.16, I want to take that for a, a me kind of verse. I want the Scriptures to do that with me. I want them to do it with you too. But primarily, I want them to be doing that to me. I want to be brought to the place to where I can say, you know what, I was wrong. Not, you misunderstood me. Or not, if you wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do this. But really, I was wrong. The circumstances were set up to where I could have done that which was right, but in my selfishness, I did that which was wrong. But I don't have to stay there because God's Word points me to the right way, or what we would call right living or righteous living, so that we can respond, react in a way that pleases God. You say, how does that tie into Psalm 23-2? Well, I want to tell you that if we would be people who were brought under the influence of God's Word we are going to have to be people that let the Scriptures ruminate in our minds. That means we chew them up again and again and again and again. And we do not have some superficial reading to where we check off our box for the day and move on, but we actually are understanding and getting everything out of what we're reading on a pretty regular basis. Now, as I say this, and sometimes people can misunderstand me and think I'm talking down to folks, I'm not assuming everybody in here is reading and not understanding. But I'll also say on the flip side of the coin, a lot of people that I talk to, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say the majority of people I talk to are reading and not understanding. I did that for a long, long, long time, just reading without any understanding and wondering why in the world am I not making any progress here? How come? How is it that I could read through the Bible in a year and get to the end of it and not tell you any more about the Bible than I knew the year before? There's a really logical answer to that question because you didn't understand any more than you did the year before. You see, reading God's Word and, and, and reading uh, uh, Scripture, while it is like no other book on earth, you will understand it the same way you understand any other book by taking the time to see what's there. Obviously, we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to give us the capacity to understand fully what's there. But if I were to ask you the question, what's two plus two, everybody in here would get it right, except for the little guy back there. And in a couple of years, he will too. But it'll take a little while. My little girl's learning how to count. She's been doing that for a while. She's got a older cousin she's trying to keep up with. So she'll start, and she can get to 10, no problem. Then she can get to 13, and usually it goes from 13 to 17, 18, 19, 20, and she can keep going fine. But for whatever reason, the 14, 15, 16, she has trouble with. And so we'll try to go back and say, okay, hang on a second, Lily, 13, 14, 15, 16. Okay, say it with me, 13, 14, 15, 16. So we'll do that. Sometimes she'll get it. I don't know that she knows 2 plus 2 is 4. matter of fact, I'm pretty positive she does not know that. The only reason I know that 
is because by the time I'm here with you today, I've heard that about a million times. It was repetitive. Repetitive, 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 repetitive. It won't be until Lily's counted properly to 17 a bunch of times that she'll get that 14, 15, 16. There's no other way for her to get that. There's no logical way for me to explain to her that 14, 15, 16 have to fit in there. She's going to have to just do that by rote. She's going to have to remember that. She's going to have to be a repetitive thing with her. Most of you this morning when you got up did not, if you have shoes that have shoe strings on them, did not think about tying your shoe. You just did it, right? You didn't go through the rabbit loop, rabbit ear thing as you were doing it. You just tied them the way you always tied them. You didn't think about buttoning up your shirt. If you drove, you didn't think about putting it in reverse and putting it in park. Whenever you got here, you didn't think about putting your foot on the brake or on the gas. You just did that because you've been doing it a long time. Kind of mindless stuff. Repetitive stuff. You understand when to stop, when to go, and you don't have to think about that. You just do it. I'm going to suggest that outside of a repetitive reading... In short, small segments in Scripture, we will have a hard time understanding what he's talking about in Psalm 23, verse 2. Maybe I should rephrase that and say, I will have a hard time understanding what he's talking about. I don't know about you, but I cannot do a through the Bible in the year and get a whole lot out of what I'm reading. That's not everybody. Some people can take in a huge amount at one time, and they can kind of process through that. I don't know that as many people as claim they can can, but I know some people can. But I can't do that. And I'll tell you another thing. I'm not in competition with anybody on who's read the Bible the most times. I could really care less. What I do want to do is understand what I'm reading and feed myself through God's Word, or I guess I should say have God feed me through His Word on a daily basis. If that's a big chunk, that's great. If that's a small chunk, that's great. I just want to be fed, and the only way I'm going to be fed is as my mind is renewed, and your mind will not be renewed if you don't understand what it is that you're looking at. So what's my point? Well, my point is this. Let's go to Joshua chapter 1. David uses the illustration of a uh, ruminant digestive system there with the sheep. For us, the Bible has another word for it. This is Joshua chapter 1. This is God speaking to Joshua, verse 7, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Verse 8 is really what I want to hit. And when we think about ruminating, or the Scriptures ruminating in our minds, really what we're talking about is meditation. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Meditating. Keeping it up there. The word meditate shows up a bunch of times in the Old Testament, and it means a lot of different things. In... Psalm 63.4, I'm not going to go to all these places because I don't have time, but in Psalm 63.4-7, he talks about meditation. 
And he's just talking about remembering. Remembering God's providential dealings in his life. Being fed that way. In Psalm 19, verses 15, or verse 15, he speaks about meditation and it means to have a conversation with oneself. To talk to yourself about what you've read. To think with yourself about what you've read. In Psalm 104, and if I'm going too fast, you can get these afterwards if you're interested. In Psalm 104, 33-34, meditation comes in the form of singing or listening to hymns or songs. They're aiding to his meditation. It's a memorable thing. It's a repetitive thing. It's something set to some kind of a rhythm that's, that, or some kind of melodic line that keeps David, or the writer of Psalm 104, keeps him able to remember what's there. Look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of waters, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What does he say in verse 1? He said, happy, blessed is the man who is not influenced by worldly influences. You could sum that verse up that way. Blessed is the man who is not being influenced by worldly influences. Verse 2, but blessed is the man who is being influenced by God's Word. How is he being influenced by it? Because his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. That means the Word is in him. It's in his mind. It's in his heart. It's on his thoughts. He's thinking about it. It's ruminating in his mind. Realize, what in the world are you talking about? Am I supposed to carry a little note card and look at something all the time? Am I supposed to try to rehearse Scripture in my head all the time? How do you do this sort of thing? Maybe you already know. I will say this. That Psalm 1 puts a direct link between meditation in Scripture and fruitfulness in life. Meditation in Scripture and fruitfulness in life. He's one that's meditating in God's Word day and night. And what? He shall be like a tree that's planted by rivers of water, and he brings forth his fruit in his season. And his leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he does, he prospers. There's a lot of different ways you can do this. I'll just tell you one way I've done it. And I don't do it this way all the time. But it's probably the most effective way I've tried. And I didn't come up with it on my own. Several years ago, whenever I finally got frustrated with the reading a bunch of stuff and, and trying to pretend like I was understanding it and moving on, I decided to start taking one book at a time and reading through that book repetitively. So the first one I ever did it with was the book of Colossians. And so I read through the book of Colossians 30 times in one setting, one, not, not one setting 30 times, but I would take the book one morning and read all the way through it. You can do that in about 20 minutes. Most of us have 20 minutes. We all have 20 minutes if we make that time. The next day, I would sit down and read it, about 20 minutes. The next day, next day, next day. After about seven times of reading Colossians, I had a little bit of a grasp of what Paul was talking about as he was talking to the Colossians. Whenever I hit the next week, it was starting to be a little more familiar. By the time I hit 30... I could take you through the book of Colossians without looking at the book of Colossians and tell you what was there. Now listen, I'm talking about observation, understanding the information that's there, and then being able to apply it. 
I'm not saying I knew every single thing there ever was to know about the book of Colossians. I am saying I knew way more about the book of Colossians than I would have the 100,000 books I would have tried to read in that month prior to that. What do you think I was thinking about through the day whenever I had free time and thoughts? It wasn't because I was reminding myself, oh, you need to think about Colossians. It was because Colossians was kind of seared into my mind. I had been reading it for the last 30 days, and there it was. I just recently got finished with First and Second Thessalonians doing the same thing. And, and, and as I was doing that, I tried to sum up the major themes in the chapters. So if I were to take you through Thessalonians 1, I could tell you that chapter 1, Paul is thankful for the Thessalonians' response to the gospel. In chapter 2, he tells about his response to their response. In chapter 3, he talks about his comfort from Timothy after he sent Timothy to find out what was going on with them. Chapters 4 and 5 are completely dedicated to his encouragement to the saints at Thessalonians to grow in holiness and in sanctification. The only reason I can do that is because I've read that book about 50 times. And if I had it and was looking at it right now, I could go through it and just about get two or three sermons out of each chapter. Not because I've done sermon study out of it, but because I've been through it a bunch of times. You could do the same thing. You could do the same thing. When we do premarital counseling with folks, we like for them to do that with the book of Ephesians so that one of these days they can sit down with somebody and they can minister the Word to them in an effective way. You ever have a hard time talking to folks about Scripture? It is kind of awkward sometimes, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest. I'm going to tell you what most of the awkwardness is. We're not really sure that we know what we know. That's where a lot of it is. We're not real confident that we actually know what we know. That I can actually explain this in an understandable way. Or even the interpretation that I've heard that I've gotten from someone else is actually what's there. I'm going to tell you that fruitfulness and confidence in God's Word will never be any stronger in an individual than when that individual has come into contact with God's Word and understands it for themselves. And so it's not me saying, John, this is what Psalm 1 says. It's John saying, I've poured myself into Psalm 1 and now it's part of me and I know what's there. Not only that, but throughout the day, again, those things just start popping in your mind. You get in different circumstances. You get in different situations. I can't tell you how many times God convicted me with First Thessalonians in that month that I was, I was, I was trying to go through it. Same way with Colossians, same way with Ephesians. Things would just pop up. And I want to almost say it was by accident. It wasn't because I was trying to recall it. It was because my mind was familiar with it. Now, that may not be something that you choose to do and there's no magic number with 30 I didn't have any you know that's not, that's not the authority of God's word saying you have to do that it is helpful there have been some times where I would just I would try to do it 10 times and then I would go through and try to categorize everything and make little notes this is what Paul's saying here this is what he's saying here this is what he's saying here this is what he's saying here and try to work my way through a chapter just based on the information that's there Probably the most important part about reading or any kind of Bible study is the observation of what's there. That's usually the first thing we skip. We usually move straight to interpretation. This is what Paul meant when he said this. and This is what Paul meant when he said this. Rather than saying, this is what Paul actually said, 
when he was talking to the Corinthians. This is what Paul actually said whenever he was talking to the Ephesians. And I'm saying all that to say this. Um, you will not ruminate. You will not meditate. You'll not be able to have God's Word in your mind if, number one, you're not spending some solid time in the Word, but number two, you're not really understanding what the message is. Have you ever known any preachers that are really good preachers? You know they're good preachers. You know they're smart. You know they're solid. You know that they know way more than you do. And they get up and preach a message and they leave you scratching your head wondering, what in the world did he just say? I know it was probably right. These other guys are excited about it, but I didn't understand anything that he just said. I bet you've never done that and at the same time said, man, my soul sure was fed. Because it's not the way it works. That doesn't say anything about any, any, any preacher. That's just to say, if we don't understand, we are not fed and we will not grow. And so sometimes... We have to do something a little different. I always encourage folks that if they're going to do a Bible reading, which you should do a Bible reading, that they think of it more as a Bible study. Because God's Word is meant to be known, not just perused for entertainment. It was funny, whenever I was studying Psalm 23 too. I was talking to a fellow at our church that I knew raised, and I think he still does raise cattle. Of course, they're ruminant animals also. And so we got to talking about it, and he said there's one thing he always could pick up on really quickly, and it was this. If he had a cow that was not chewing the cud, there was something wrong with him. If he had a cow that was not chewing the cud, he was sick. There was something wrong with that cow. If he had a cow that he was nursing back to health, he knew that he was doing okay when he started chewing the cud again. I wonder what parallel we could make between this idea of cattle and sickness and not ruminating and Christians and God's Word. I like to ask the question 20 years from now, how important will God's Word be in the lives of your family? Anybody know the answer to that question? There is one. And it all depends on you. It really does. It all depends on you. If you're the leader of your family, if you happen to be in a family to where you are the um, spiritual person there and your children, no one ever accidentally learns something. Not really. There are times where we get ourselves messed up and we get in situations we didn't mean to be in. But as far as understanding this sort of thing, your harvest will probably be pretty close to what you sow. And so I would encourage you to spend time really applying yourself toward understanding God's Word. You know, if you took the New Testament and you read one book 30 times through, that's one day a month, it would only take you two and a half years to make it through the New Testament. You say, good grief, two and a half years? I would have had the whole Bible two times and a half by then. But think about how much you'd understand if you, had, if you read every book in the New Testament 30 times. Think about how much uh, more 
of a grasp you would have over that. Now, some people get kind of skeptical when I talk about this, but I'll tell you, it was, it was, it was a thrill to me. I did this at Ripley, and um, Abigail's grandmother, Sister Laurette Leonard, she came up to me a week later. She's in her 70s. She may be 80. She said, I've been reading the Bible all my life. She said, you know what? She said, I started with Philippians. And I started reading Philippians one time a day, and I'm on day 10. I'm going to tell you, I've learned more about Philippians in those 10 days than I have in the last 50 years. I said, well, praise the Lord. I call her Granny. Granny. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're doing that. She said, you're on to something there. And it's not me. This is an old guy back in the 1900s. James Gray wrote a book called Mastering the English Bible, and this is exactly what he said. It was just kind of getting the lay of the land of the books there. Psalm 19 I'm sorry, Psalm 119, verse 15. He says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. We're making connections back there in Psalm 1. I'll make another connection here. The psalmist connects his meditation with having respect for God's Word. God's ways, God's precepts. He says, I've meditated on it. I've, I've had it roll around in my mind. I've thought about it. I've had a conversation with myself about it. It's there. And I have respect into your ways. In Psalm 119, verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Love and meditation. How many people in here could honestly say they love reading the book of Leviticus? Honestly now, if we weren't in church and you were talking to one of your friends that doesn't know anything about the Bible or anything else, and they were to say, what are some of the good books you've been reading lately? How many would say, let me tell you about the book of Leviticus. I've been in that and I just... How many would say that? There's nothing wrong with the book of Leviticus. There's nothing wrong with the book of Leviticus. But if you hadn't figured it out by now, the book of Leviticus is not for pleasure reading. You don't just read that book because it's entertaining. Matter of fact, I go as far to say the book of Leviticus is really meant to be studied, not just read in a cursory reading. Because you really don't understand what in the world's going on in Leviticus if you don't understand what all these things are meaning. But look what he says. He says, that God's Word, in verse 97, is something that He loves. And in case you don't know, Leviticus was part of what He was talking about. You know, David did not have the Bible that we have. He's primarily talking about the first five books. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. David's meditating on it, and through meditation, he is falling in love with God's Word. Falling in love with God's Word. And then we'll finish up in Psalm 19. Sorry, I'm looking at Proverbs 19, wondering where Psalm 19 went. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Now, there's two things that I go to whenever I think about passages like the last half of Psalm 19. There are two ways you can read God's Word. The first way is, you can read it, and you can get to a thing like Psalm 19.7 and read what David says, and you can say, oh yeah, that is right. God's Word does all those things. That's why we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Period. Let's move on to the next. Or you can look at a passage like Psalm 19.7, and you can ask yourself, if I were to have written that psalm, would I have written that? about God's Word. Is that my experience with God's Word? As I think about what I think about and as I think about how I've been affected as I've interacted with the Word of God, is that my experience? Can I say that? Can I say that the law of the Lord is perfect because my soul has been converted, it's been turned? Most of us, I think, can say that, right? Most of us, I think, can say that we've gained wisdom through the Word. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Now, as I say that, and I say, I ask myself, is that my experience? That's not so that I can say David was a liar in Psalm 19.7. It's so that I can ask myself, if this is not my experience, why is it not my experience? What is it about what I'm doing that's not working? What is it about the way I'm handling God's Word or the way that I'm approaching God's Word or the way that I think about God's Word that's different than what David's thinking about? More to be desired than fine gold, wealth, and riches, and all those things? And so I would encourage you, even if you do go to a repetitive reading, I would encourage you to keep in mind we are dependent on God as we look to be fed through His Word. And I say all that to say you cannot manufacture a Psalm 119.7 through the end of the chapter 14 in your life. You can't manufacture that. You can't do that for yourself. Now, you can put some steps in place to where you're understanding what you're reading. You can put some steps in place to where you repetitively are grasping what's being there. But we're dependent on the Holy Spirit to feed us through the Word. And I'll tell you that the church here will only be as strong as, the, as, as you are strong in the Word of God. There's a lot of different folks doing a lot of different things, reaching out and doing a lot of different uh, evangelism stuff, and they have a lot of different purposes and a lot of different goals, 
And really we could sum it up and say they've got a lot of different areas of distraction. And when I say a lot of different people, I'm not talking about them out there. I'm talking about us in here as well. We do that. We get distracted with stuff. We make our goals things that they should not be. I want to tell you that a Christian should not have any higher goal than I want to live to understand God's Word so that I can magnify God with my life through obedience to that Word. I don't think there's a higher goal for a Christian. I don't think God calls us to a higher purpose than that. If you go through the book of Deuteronomy, not the book of Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's full of that language. When you get into the, the, the promised land, remember this. Keep my word. Keep my commands. Think about this with your mind. Think about this with your heart. Don't let yourself go back to this. Don't, don't be lifted up in pride. Humble yourself here. Humble yourself there. And it's all going back to obedience, 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 obedience. And why would we be so concerned with that? Because we're trying to impress God. We established this morning we're not on a performance-based relationship with God. We're not trying to impress God. We couldn't impress God if we wanted to impress God. But you're only fed through the Word in as much as you understand it and apply it to your life. So that God is not impressed with somebody who's a walking dictionary. That's not impressive to God. He's not impressed with somebody that has a whole lot of head knowledge and has done very little to try to apply it to their life. That's not impressive to God. It's not pleasing to God. But God is impressed with those. When I say impressed, obviously you understand that I'm, 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 or maybe you don't understand, but let me make clear I'm saying that as God uses His Word and works this into your life, His goal is that you would be like what we read about in the Gospels, the character of Jesus Christ. Jesus never presents Himself as some arrogant guy that's full of a bunch of knowledge that never works his way out in his life. Rather, we find a man who was patient with thieves and robbers and whores and everything else that we would want to ignore and not be around so that he was completely and entirely influenced by God's Word. But we also find in Jesus one that trusted God completely. And we find in David a man that trusted God. Not completely. We can't compare him to Jesus. But as he writes what he writes in Psalm 23, he says, I am fed and I lay down because I'm satisfied and then I chew the cut of Scripture or I chew the cud here, and David was fed through God's Word, I chew on that because I want everything I can get out of that for my life. And so I would encourage you, maybe what you're doing right now is working, and if it is, keep doing it. Maybe it's not, and if it's not, change what you're doing is what my encouragement would be to you. Change what you're doing so that you're not checking boxes off of a list, but you're understanding what it is that you're reading. And I think you will be amazed Number one, how often the Scriptures will come to your mind just in everyday thought. And number two, the uh, difference that it will make in you being able to grasp what God's Word is saying and applying it to where you live on a daily basis. So, that's what I have this afternoon on Psalm 23.2. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do. Uh, you feed us through your word. You feed us through knowledge and understanding, uh, Lord. And your Spirit uses that to conform us in the center of our being, uh, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless us to be uh, men and women who would place ourselves under the influence of your word, um, striving to understand it, to grasp it, to make it uh, our own. Uh, that we would be able to live through the lens of Scripture. I pray that you would uh, 
Just be merciful to us, Lord. We confess we can't do this without Your help. We can't do this without Your Spirit. We can't do it without Your blessing. And so as we strive to uh, live and to feed on the Word, uh, we pray that You would be faithful to feed us as a good shepherd. In Jesus' name, Amen.